Poya. This is Robbie. Welcome to Uncharted and Eclectic. And thanks for joining us again. Today's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. One of the most time-consuming and stressful activities at my last startup was pulling the monthly reports we needed to to prepare for our board meeting. You see, we were using a combination of homegrown solutions, spreadsheets, and QuickBooks, and made the mistake of allowing our technology and tech stack to slow us down. Don't make the same mistake we did. Upgrade today with Oracle NetSuite. The beauty of Oracle NetSuite is that it gives you the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, sales, and much more. Everything you need all in one place instantly. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let their team at NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash scale. All right, welcome back to another episode of Uncharted and Eclectic. Uh, we are bringing back two of our most popular guests that we've ever had on the po- podcast, Keith Messick and Dan O'Connell, aka Doc. Um, I'm thinking actually we might mix this up this time. Maybe Dan, you could introduce Keith and Keith, Keith, you could introduce Dan in whatever way you see fit and then we'll get started. Oh man, that is something I was, out of all of the questions I prepared for, uh, legendary marketer, uh, part-time comedian, uh, usually needs help writing marketing content. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can keep going. No, uh, look, Keith was, uh, we worked together for a number of years here at Dialpad. Um, I think he's a super thoughtful um, marketer, both creative and also on uh, thinking about demand gen. Um, I think he really looks for ways to embody sales within marketing. Um, and something that I think has resonated throughout our relationship of why we've even why we've been able to work together effectively. And um, you know, I can keep going on on a long ramble, but you know, that's what I would say. Yeah. So now I have to be really nice because Dan <laughs> ended nice. Uh, Dan O'Connell, aka Doc, uh, CRO at Dialpad, um, excellent snowboarder, um, amongst other things. Um, triathlete, triathlete, Iron Man. He's sort of a. It's awful. Like it's gross to sit, stand next to him when you know you're like three beers deep and he's you know two percent body fat. But um, I think one of the reasons Dan and I got along so well is um, you know Dan's a, a a revenue professional, been in sales a long time with a real bias towards strategy and operations. Um, and I'm a sort of accidental head of marketing who has a lot of appreciation and passion for strategy and operations. And so, you know, we kind of like overlap there. And that's a lot of things we talk about is kind of like future state, future planning, um, thinking through sort of strategically, where's this thing going? What's the opportunity? And, you know, so we, we spend a lot of time there and not just in the details, but um, yeah, I, uh, I have a lot of uh, respect for Dan as a professional and uh, executive. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank and you also, the he's intros. the second most popular person on the <laughs> Uncharted and Eclectic uh, podcast. 
I appreciate you guys keeping it civilized uh, as we get as we get kicked off here. We'll see where this goes. Um, so, Dan, I'd love to start with you. 2020 has been a, a pretty wild year um, from a go-to-market perspective, uh, and, and I think it, it would be nice to maybe get some of your reflections on from the lens of kind of sales go-to-market. Um, what's really changed and, and what changes are, are going to stick um, as we look ahead to the future? And, and I think one specific uh, example um, that I can that I can give that I'd love to get your reflection on is, you know, this notion of hiring an enterprise AE um, with a quarter million dollar, you know, on target earnings um, seems like it's maybe become a little bit less compelling versus a superstar inside, inside sales rep in this new era of everything's remote and over over video. Um, curious on kind of what your take on that is based on what you've seen in Dialpad and, and, and otherwise, and maybe what what changes do you think are here to stay that that have that have come in 2020? Yeah, so I think um, so. I guess I'll, I'll talk about this, you know, just just personally, like stuff that 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 has impacted us or 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 myself as as somebody in sales. You know, one is I think what's here to stay, having more flexibility, um, obviously where you work, um, and I see that meaning. Look, like I was always a big believer of when you build sales organizations, it's super important to have those people show up at work uh, every day sense of camaraderie, camaraderie, a bunch of learnings that you get sitting next working to each other, just easier to scale, especially if you're growing quickly and have a bunch of people. I actually think that's changed. Like I very much personally am more open to, to building and scaling teams and providing more flexibility to people. And I think part of the reason for that is you start thinking about, hey, do we have all of the processes and software in place to go and train and onboard people? So I think suddenly sales enablement and everything that has happened has become, I think, um, a more prolific role. Um, and I hate saying that as if, you know, but I, but I think there is, there is exceptional importance placed on um, how good can you onboard and train and get communication out. So I think like those are some, so there's some, some kind of like non-revolutionary ideas. This idea of like what happens on enterprise sales, I do think is very real. Um, and, and I'm not saying like enterprise sales goes away or anything or anything to that nature. I think businesses, especially ones that have been impacted by COVID, are going to look for ways to save costs. And then I think they're going to say, look, if all of our sales organization can no longer go and wine and dine people or show up in person just because of the restrictions, then you're really going to go start looking at, hey, can we actually achieve the same motions across all of these different segments? Can we sell SMB and mid-market and enterprise? Those motions probably look fairly similar when somebody is sitting, as I said, they can't get out face-to-face, -face, they can't wine and dine, um, now, so I do think that trend is, is, is real and is something that's going to, to, you know, and people may not like this. Executives are going to talk about that, which is like, hey, if we're looking to save costs, can we do enterprise type motions, um, perhaps with a different part of the organization? Now, I think like when you hire enterprise uh, AEs and, and you're investing in that segment, the, the, the reason that you do that, at least for me, is like the, that person has confidence. Um, they come with a strong relationships, they know the industry, they know how to run a, a, a much more complex sales cycle. Like there are very real skills um, that somebody else is not going to have. But I think it kind of just brings in the question of like, hey, are these segments real? Like, where do you draw the line on these segments? And then perhaps what's the hiring profile? And again, the, the impact of that might be because, you know, your business is, has been hit harder. 
Yeah. Keith, I'm curious to get your take on that, um, especially from the lens of enterprise. Like how, how does marketing step in and support this like transition to remote when salespeople can't get their Brex card and like hop on a jet and take somebody out for a steak and, and wine dinner? Um, I, I'm curious your take there. And then, and then more broadly, as you look at 2020, like what kind yeah, of the so, takeaways are <laughs> stuff you think is here to stay? So, you know, a couple of things. I mean, one, I, I, I agree with Dan. I think that, um, especially, you know, when you have a talented inside person, um, they probably were a BDR at some point. They've run their own demos without an SC. They've, you know, they, they've, you know, you're very self-sufficient when you're kind of like in, in, you know, uh, I wouldn't call SMB a lot of mid-market deals. Like these are some big deals you could traditionally get done on the phone anyway. Um, so I do agree that the idea of like, you know, someone getting on a plane and showing up with, you know, how big and I used to work at success factors and I'd show up at these deals uh, in product marketing and it would be like the VP, the rep, the TAM, the SE, me, and like then two other people who I don't even know if they were employed, like all showing up and to meet with like two people, these things were pretty inefficient. And so I do think like, it'll be hard to, if this works, it'll be hard to, to go back to inefficient. I just think companies naturally be like, why would we do that? Or they'll, they'll start to restrict it. Um, I do think that from a marketing standpoint, the challenge is, um, so field marketing is kind of like your, it's your local option. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's how you, it's how when someone in the Midwest is crying about pipeline, you, it's how you, you know, digital marketing is sort of like location agnostic, um, content marketing, same thing, but like field marketing is where you say like, all right, we need to go give some love to the mid Atlantic or the Midwest. Um, and that is just not a thing right now. Real. I mean, we're testing some things, but it's just, just not the same. And, you know, lunch and learns, executive breakfasts, like these are things, sort of local events. These are things that were working. They worked really well at Dialpad. Um, so I think that's the challenge. I think what happens is um, it puts, a, it puts a, a lot of emphasis on outbound into underperforming territories. Um, and it also like puts a lot of pressure on your ICP to say like, do we, you know, like, do we really need another rep in TOLA like right now versus putting another one in New York. You know what I mean? Like I think those are the questions that like, whereas like you could kind of like mess those, the answers to those questions didn't have to be perfect previously because you had levers you could pull. Um, but those levers are harder right now. Like, I don't think anyone's really gotten the, the virtual like field marketing thing down. And honestly, we've tried some events, we've done it. It's actually not any cheaper because it requires something that has to be shipped. You have a lot of shipping and you have hard goods, like to try and build some little event. Like we've done little cocktail mixers and a bartender. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? It's like, and you're like, oh, well, it's $15,000. It wasn't cheap at all. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? The, so it's it's interesting. Some of the studio, but uh, I'm doing a, a keynote next week and the studio and hardware that I got shipped is, I can tell the second I open it. One, I need... Uh, I need help being able to set it up. It's a little bit outside my realm of expertise. But I'll, get on a, I'll, tell, I'll like, drive it, down. It, it is super nice, um, right? And so, right, it's because people want, uh, you know, they mm -hmm. want to have a, a, a nicer experience for some of these things. And you can tell that there's, there's for sure an investment in that. And I think you brought up a really good point of, of efficiency. Like, I think all of this kind of says, look, like every, and I hate these are like all, you know, we've, we've said these same 
um, analogies the whole time now for the past seven months. Um, everything just got turned upside down. And so very quickly within your business, you just realize what's efficient, what's inefficient. And I've got to figure out as much as I, my business as possible that I can do remote. And nobody had to think about that. Like you were all, you always had some argument as to why you needed to go out and fly to meet somebody to do a deployment or try to win a deal or whatever, do it, do an event, whatever it was. And literally overnight we woke up and it's like, Hey, nobody is going anywhere or doing anything. So we got to figure out as much of this business as we can, that we can do remotely. Um, and then it's, so as I said, it's, it's a, you know, once in a lifetime experience um, that, you know, obviously it's super sad and unfortunate. And I think these, these changes are going to be real for, for a while. Yeah. So my final thought on that is like one thing that I do think there is a downside to this. Um, I mean, there's, many downsides to this but one of the things that we're you know i'm struggling with right now is um you know how do you hire someone entry level or really earlier in their career right now i feel like i just feel like the you it's like it requires a lot of infrastructure to sort of set those people up for success um startups you know like you know and so i'll just use a earlier stage companies smaller than 500 employees aren't usually great like learning and development shops. Like I don't have a lot of infrastructure for career development, better or for worse. Like it's a little bit of like you, you show up and it's the, uh, you know, it's kind of the tour of duty concept that, you know, Reed Hoffman talked about. Like there's some transfer of value between the two parties and then one day you leave and, and that's all okay. You know what I mean? Um, it's hard to do that with like a 22 year old, I think, um, who's stranded at home. We're, this is something I'm struggling with right now because um, I would like to hire more people earlier in their career. I think it's a great opportunity. It's a, how you change someone's life is by giving them their first job. And I really don't know how to do it right now in remote environment. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's something, you know, we all, we, we definitely have that, that same piece, which comes into, you know, as I was saying a little bit earlier on, on investing in the, the sales enablement and the software and being able to have you know, some, some belief that, that you can go and take that step and do it. And, you know, the other thing that, that you brought up is like, you know, for us, um, at some point we'll get back to an office. I'm a big believer, not to take us where I'm like a, a tangent here a little bit, but hopefully that's all right. You know, at some point, like I, you know, the, Craig, our, our CEO was, was talking to me about, Hey, how do, how do we want to think about real estate? Um, you know, our, our leases is up. Uh, we're kind of playing the market in terms of, I think there's some correction and, and when do you want to, when do you want to go in? Um, and I think for us, like, look, I very much want to have the, the, the client facing teams um, working together in an office. And this creates some complexity in this moment of now. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't know if that's going to be six months from now, three months from now, two years from now. Um, and then how does that impact your strategy on hiring? Of, do you go all in of, hey, we, we can do, we can hire from anywhere, we can onboard from anywhere. And then at some point when you get back into an office, if, if that's what there's pent up demand and I think interest and people want to get back into an office is, is generally the read of my team. Um, you know, what do you do with this organization that looks very different? Um, so those are all, you know, those are all, I think they're good things. Like these are all good problems to, to, to be able to go and have, but I think those are the things that are kind of like top of mind as, as we think about hiring and scaling and, and working remotely and, and all of these things. The only thing I was going to add, or at least add um, as a question, I think uh, Dan, you alluded to it. When you bring an enterprise rep, right? One of the values they have is they can deal with what you, you said, uh, complex. I call it the politics of decision-making. 
Yeah. Right? When you get so many stakeholders, last I checked, you need like to talk to 11 stakeholders if you're, if you're selling a true enterprise deal, right? The, the whales um, out there. Like, how are you training people for that? Because I think it's, it takes a certain personality, right? Sometimes, like, I think if I really simplify sales, it's like we're moving towards more of like a science-based approach, but you can't lose out on this, like, politics slash personality. And it's, I think, really tough to train for those skills unless you have the experience. Uh, am I thinking about it correctly? And, like, how are you offsetting for those things? When yeah, I would, I would agree. With, yeah, I would agree with that. And as I said, like, this, you know, the statements we're starting off of sound can be taken out of context as, as like, hey, dude, like, we don't, like, like Ken does not care about enterprise sales. Not of, yeah, like, of course. Of course. Season, like, absolutely not. I think it's a blend, right? As I said, like you need to have people with that experience and, and exposure. We just, we were, you know, to, to be frank, like one thing we were looking for an enterprise leader here at Dialpad, we just um, closed on an acquisition uh, two weeks ago and a fantastic enterprise leader came over and solved that problem for us, which was like we wanted um, somebody that had experience building out that team. And then, you know, to Keith's point, we, we have a fairly large, uh, mid-market organization here at Dialpad with exceptional talent. And it was a case of like, those folks know how to do, they, they have some different skills um, than, than, uh, than, than some enterprise, uh, enterprise AEs that I've worked with in the past. And um, it's been a nice complementary mix. And, and as I said, I don't think you can suddenly just run your business and say, hey, we don't care about enter enterprise profiles. We're just going to run this. We're going to go after the enterprise segment, specifically with SMB and mid-market reps and hope they learn on the job on that thing. I, I don't think that's going to be successful. It's a mix. Um, my only point being um, that I don't think somebody's going to go all in on, hey, we need to go build out an enterprise team and I'm going to go out there in the market and I'm going to go go hire people that are going to cost me 250k or 500k they're going to argue that it takes them 16 months to ramp um i don't think you're in that environment for some of these businesses that have that much runway um and so again it comes back into efficiency and like very real challenges of trying to scale and run a business and those are conversations whether we like them or not people are having yeah totally i think hopefully folks that are listening to this that are in sales right now and you know maybe are kind of teachers by trade feel a little bit of inspiration to look at enablement as a potential career path i don't think it's something that like we people really talk about too much as like a path in sales or at least historically whereas sales ops and biz ops or management or like maybe more traditional paths maybe we'll see a whole new like generation of sales enablement leaders that come out of this as a result of like you know who's really great at executing remote um but but maybe maybe to that vein just to change the topic a bit. Uh, Keith, I, I really would love to learn a little bit more about like what worked well at Dialpad when you and Dan worked together and like maybe from the lens of like how does sales and marketing align well? Like what are the what are the important things to make sure you get right and what are maybe some of the things that people overthink? Yeah, um, overthink almost everything. Uh, that's typically, you know, you're, you got to justify your salary. So you're like, I have to make that simple thing really hard. Um, no, I think that one, I, you know, I think empathy for, um, both, I think bi-directional empathy really helps. Um, I think marketing empathy for sales is an absolute requirement. Um, and I, you know, I, I think we might've talked about this the first time we talked, but like, I, I really like marketers. I'd like for a, some percentage of my team to have tried sales, uh, who've made a cold call, who've been in a sales cycle, who've just gotten smacked around, 
you know what I mean? Or, or was successful and just like, I don't like the repetition of it. So like that really, um, if you have a marketing team where no one's ever tried sales, I find it, it's a really hard to sort of like emotionally align because they just don't have any appreciation for the difficulty of the job. Um, so, you know, where I'm at now, like BDR is reported into marketing and it, it's really helpful for the rest of the marketing org to have the BDR leader on like every exec meeting on my team, like his voice and his team's voice. So when, you know, someone on my team says something absolutely ridiculous, you know, <laughs> outside of the lens, like your pure marketing thing, he can say like, yeah, we don't really care about that. We just need to get a meeting on them. You know what I mean? Like get that sort of like right to the bottom. And I think that's really helpful. Um, at Dialpad, I think, you know, what we had at Dialpad is like, it's, um, you know, people, when they're making a decision about their communications, they're, they've made a decision to change. And then what we have to do is make them decide on Dialpad. So there's some advantages to that model and some disadvantages. But like the good news is, is that usually people aren't, it's not like a situation where they're like, we're using something and then we're going to go spend a lot of time. We're just going to keep what we have. Like usually they're going to make a change, right? And they're changing from, uh, you know, on-prem PBX. They're changing from a early cloud provider they don't like. Um, so I do think that piece helps align people around sort of the why Dialpad thing. Where it gets harder, I think, is when you're trying to get them to do something, anything. Like earlier markets are sometimes harder to get sales and marketing aligned because like, you know, there's this concept of like, you know, it's like we lose to the status quo. Um, and that's a tough one. It's hard to, you know, it's really hard to figure out like that gets you into these build versus buy conversations and sales points figures at marketing and marketing yells, that's bad selling it sells. And so um, I think the nature of the UCAS market at Dialpad helps, it's, it lends itself to alignment because every single person is not trying to convince them to do something. We're just trying to convince them to do our thing. Um, and so that's a much easier place. I think it's hard because it's every deal's a knife fight, but it's easier because we all have the same goal, right? Like we, and you know, it makes competitive Intel much easier, like all these things, all the competitors are named. Um, I think just between Dan and myself, um, we just have like a no excuses mentality in general. And I think that helps immensely. Um, you know, we were very transparent in how we modeled. So like, you know, a, like certain percentage of every segment's pipeline was expected to be rep generated. Like we were very clear on that. And it's like, you can't make your number. We're not funding marketing to the level that's like, you know, it's, it just doesn't work that way. Um, and so being really transparent and just kind of taking no excuses, no excuses doesn't mean just being an awful hard ass. It's just like not taking a lot of excuses from marketing, not taking a lot of excuses from sales and then rallying around the pipeline number. Like, I think if you can just get everyone relentlessly focused on pipeline, it really solves a lot of things. It's when you have part of marketing that's off doing, you know, spirit walks, and then you have another part of sales that's just sitting around waiting to be fed, that um, it just gets pissy and contentious. So Keith, jumping in here, uh, Robbie's definitely the one that always kept waiting. Every time I worked with him, he's like, feed me marketing, please. Whereas <laughs> I'm like the one going out there on Sundays, like, personalized emails you know generate yeah my own i i but could see that i i it's it's true ask anybody when we when we work together but no <laughs> in, in in all seriousness one of the things you brought up which is like aligning on pipeline and one of the trends i'm seeing it actually happened right when COVID hit and everybody's like starting to freak out like the world was about to end is you could see the companies that 
are agile and they move quickly, they're like, okay, the alignment now becomes revenue. Like that's what we care about. And in my head, I'm like, well, is that not how you should be thinking this whole time anyway? Right. Whereas right. what's funny, you work with these like larger companies that are just significantly slower to move and they still care about signups. Like that is the metric, right? And they don't care that 90% of those signups don't convert even to like the next, you know, yeah. uh, scale. So I guess whether it's you, Dan, or you, Keith, like, where does that pressure come? Like, who makes that change? Is it the CMO? Is it the CRO? Is it someone else that says, okay, like, we need to align everybody to be focusing on revenue? Yeah, I've, uh, I can hop in. <laughs> I'm going so, next. See how nice I, I was? Yeah, so, so I don't know if I have, like, a clear answer to that one. Um, I think... Um, like ultimately I think like who's been helpful for us has been Craig, who's our CEO on making sure like the teams, like the teams are aligned on those pieces. And then I think um, Keith and I have like one, Keith and I like each other. So that's helpful in a work environment to be just, I think something that people miss is like, if you don't get along with people or you're difficult to work with, um, it's pretty it's a challenge. Pretty, yep. You're challenged. And like, I, it's amazing to me that people don't realize that. Like, if you're an asshole, like people are going to figure that out and they're going to avoid you and work around you. Sorry, you can bleep that out. Um, and, and I think like a lot of this tension stems from um, both teams at times cannot appreciate each other's contribution. And then I think a lot of, uh, a lot of animosity is created around attribution. Um, and this gets into, <laughs> um, and, and we've had these conversations at Dialpad. And I'm like, do we, do we want to spend time battling on attribution? On like, if a sales rep sources a lead first and puts it in the system, doesn't do anything on it for six months, which I would be like, hey, bad behavior. Then marketing goes and puts them in a campaign and gets them to sign up for a webinar. And then marketing wants to take credit because of, because of recency, right? In terms of that lead now coming in. And I'm like, this is a pointless conversation to go and argue. Like at some point, the sales rep did the right thing and found something that's new and put it in the system. Yes, they had some bad behavior. Like, and then you go down this spiral and waste time on this attribution. Now, again, this is just how I would operate. Again, there's plenty of people that would say, Dan is crazy. This is, you know, th th these are bad habits. This is the problem though. And then people are going to go set goals around, around eight sales sourced opportunities, marketing sourced opportunities, channel sourced opportunities. And they're going to go tweak percentages on those numbers every quarter and it probably doesn't matter and, and and what really matters at least to me is aligning on hey we all want to have pipeline come in we can't have a sales organization that sits and waits for demand gen and channel to bring them to bring them opportunities they have to go and do their own motions and work their territories right whether that's 15 percent or 17 percent I don't know if that's going to have a big difference. There's probably some margin of error in terms of attribution in those things, but you have to just generally align on that stuff. Um, and again, I'll probably get a bunch of slack for, 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 for that stuff, but I generally think a lot of time is wasted. A lot of animosity is probably created outside of people's taking a step back and saying, let's align that like the more pipeline we have come in for the overall company solves all problems that we have and like the last profound statement that you hear every time is like growth solves all problems like of course right but yep. if you can get people to focus on those that that piece and then appreciate uh, each other's contribution i think you're probably a step of the curve yeah i mean i i i've been quoted a thousand times as saying attribution is the fight you the war you wage on the way down not the way up um 
you know, because when you're killing it, no one seems to care about attribution. And yeah, then when it, you point. hit a bump, everyone's like, oh, my God. Yeah, um, I know you guys scrambled for, yeah, as I say, yeah. you can scramble to, do, to feel that you have to defend, right? And then you get yeah. in. You're literally checking CRM data. Yeah, anytime no. that is happening if i am doing that trust me something bad is happening yeah i mean i used to tell this you know i've tell my team i've told salespeople as well it's like you know there's a couple of truths like you don't get you're losing your job if you don't close enough pipeline there you go simple if you don't have enough to close you're out of a job if you had a ton and didn't close it you're still out of a job i actually like the simplicity of sales employment it's very, it's very clear. And guess what, marketing? If they don't close a lot of it, you're also out of a job because the revenue is what funds the, it's, it's really simple on how everyone in sales and marketing gets to keep their job. Um, and I am a big fan of that level of simplicity. Um, I think like the attribution thing though is so real. It's funny, like we, um, if the visible rep is listening to this, uh, we're not renewing. So we just ripped it out at LaunchDarkly. Um, and um, surprise, and uh, it's up in February. We'll take a steep discount so we can still say no. Um, but that being said, um, and we're building a custom one and it's just first touch preferred. We're building our own thing so that we just can say like, hey, like we wanna, we wanna know what's working from a camp, like from an investment standpoint that we don't want it. We don't care what's working from a pointing finger standpoint. And so we still just think the first touch is still the most important touch because it's the thing that got them over the line. We want to make sure we track influence beyond that. But um, a lot of the attribution models, what happens is they get into these weird like W shaped and, you know, it's like if they, if they convert it on a Thursday, it's worth, you know, two extra points and, you know, it's like biodynamic and you, you know, you go out at, midnight and a full moon and that's another 12 points and <laughs> these things get really stupid um and i just think like i blame martech for a lot of this to be honest with you like marketing tech tech companies have done an amazing job in the past 10 years of convincing people that your tech stack equals your strategy and um god bless them a lot of people made a lot of money but like i just hate that idea yeah. And um, attribution was not something that we argued that much about until we started getting things, people telling us that attribution is something worth arguing about. It kind of felt like manifested a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, um, I couldn't agree more on that. And I just think that like a lot of time I spent a lot of time with all of my companies is really just like not assuming they understand like the mechanics of the business. Like a lot of people on your team don't understand gross margin. And a lot of people on your team don't understand CAC payback. And a lot of, and, you know, when you start going into the, like the actual mechanics of how we think about a SaaS business, um, it's actually pretty helpful because it's probably, yeah. you know, I don't like, depending on what your degree was or where you've been, you just sort of think there's like an endless bucket of money and, you know, no one's paying attention to how this gets spent or measured. And so I think it's on, um, the executive teams, it's in their best interest to, to like make sure that their employees leave that company knowing how a SaaS business works, like, like at the financial level. And yeah, that usually I, eases it up a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff gets skipped. 
right. At least in my in my experience, I look back, you know, when I started my career, and and even you know, even at Google, like I was at Google was my first job out of school, and even there, like nobody, nobody, nobody walked me through LTV to CAC ratios and and right. magic number, and all of this stuff that is just you know, it is just helpful context once you have it. Um, and to your point, I think um, just, you know, non-revolutionary stuff, like the closer you can get teams to understand each other's roles and jobs and the difficult. And I think sales reps get, you know, just honestly, um, a little rightfully um, a little bit defensive because they're on the front lines. Um, and so I think they're, they're the first hit, um, good, bad product efficiencies, like you, na you name it, um, they see it first. And so at times, if there's if there are teams behind the trenches saying like, "Hey, do your job better. Why can't you sell this?" Um, they need to have that person sitting there side by side to understand kind of the, the market dynamics. And and I think in you know in the past, like our, our teams, when Keith and I have worked together, have done a pretty good job at, at having that type of alignment and relationship, which is you know just helpful. You did bring yeah, up. I feel like there's a whole. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, the last thing I was going to say on, on just like this ramble, because you brought up, you brought up a good point around, um, you know, just software that, that you did or didn't need. Um, and I thought like, that's another thing that's played out in this trend is, you know, overnight, we definitely have then kind of realized what was the nice to have software in our stack and what was the need to have software in our stack. And, you know, we had to, we made something we realized was we lacked this, like we lacked a really good ways to do one-on-ones work patterns as, as a startup that uh, has been amazing for us in terms of just better way to manage one-on-ones outside of, outside of, of, of shared, shared online docs. Um, and so those are kind of just have been just interesting things for us to go and look at in terms of, oh, this piece of software didn't work for us. We actually realized we didn't use it, but in the everyday hustle of, in-person work life, we realized like nobody would have probably come to that, come to that realization. Yeah, I'd like to say one thing that depending on the discount, I might actually renew visible just in case the rep hears this. <laughs> so don't give up, but you know, I want you to really think about the number. Keith, I, as a salesperson, Keith, I, you would be my nightmare, man. I, uh, I gotta tell you that like it's- uh, I'm a, I'm a I was, teddy bear. Uh, I was thinking about like sponsorship, you know, sending the perspective. I'm not, not even worth it anymore. Uh, moving forward. I thought you were going to sponsor Uncharted and Eclectic, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to focus on dial pad to make it easier, but over to you, Robbie. No, I, I like it. I think that you're right about the essential with software and MarTech has done an amazing job creating uh, all types of categories. But I, I think there's probably a whole separate conversation here about incentives and like, how do you drive incentives from the top of the go to market team down on like, what is essential? And does everybody understand like what they do every day, how that rolls up to whatever SaaS metric it is that's like most important given the stage of company and given like whatever, you know, the goals are. And there's a pretty big gap there and probably an opportunity to educate like the broader you know go-to-market team and I think so much of that just has to do with who's your leader like who do you report up to who's the person who you kind of follow on the journey um, and so so I guess that's maybe a, a good place to to wrap this um, and we could probably talk about this for for days but um, I'll ask you guys each maybe one one final question um, and and Dan I'll start with you and I think uh, you know one of the things that um, 
Uh, one of the things that's just been a pretty clear line of sight for me during this whole 2020 thing is like the companies with the best leadership seem to be doing doing the best. Like the, the folks that are able to stable the ship a bit. I, I think Dialpad is definitely one of those companies. And you, you know, you mentioned your CEO Keith multiple times, but uh, but I think that obviously has to do with you too on the go to market side. So I'm curious, like go to market leaders out there. What's something that you can kind of advise them um, uh, to, to, to do as we go forward into the new year? And a lot of these things that we talked about are going to be the new normal. Just like any advice that you may have for leaders out there on, you know, steadying the ship and, and thinking long. Yeah, I think um, as I, we kind of started off the, the conversation on this, like increasing your investment and exposure on sales enablement. Um, just because I think there's just there's very real market challenges like that your industries have probably shifted overnight understanding the competitive intel you're probably going to push innovation in your product you're going to deal with onboarding and training and so I just think traditionally that can be at times in my experience I have seen that probably be an under under invested part of an organization um, and I think that's a place that we now spend a bunch of time and, and have some exceptional leadership and, and are throwing even more investment. And to your point, I would love to see more sales reps actually go into that because, again, they have all of this great knowledge and, and I think um, less traditionally have thought about that as a, as, a, as a career path and an option of something I think they would both enjoy and be really good at. And so um, that's, that's a place for us. And then um, the last one would just be heavy investment in, in frontline leadership. I actually think that the two most important people in, in a company are your CEO to set the overall vision. And I think it's frontline leaders and frontline managers, um, the people that actually have to deal with the, the hiring, the firing, and the training. The directors, the VPs, CROs, um, I think those are all, you know, I hate to say like replaceable. Um, but I think what's really difficult is finding really, really good frontline leadership and consistent align on values and really get in the weeds and know how to want to coach and develop people and then deal and also be part-time therapists because that's, that's part of the job. But um, if you can shore that up, we've been fortunate of just having super strong frontline leadership. Um, and I think that's a place to pay, um, pay as much attention to as you can. That's a good answer, awesome. Dan. <laughs> um, Every now and then, I have it. I have yeah. A yeah, my uh, uh, is that the same question to me, Robbie? Um, I'm gonna see if I can beat Dan's answer. Um, you can vote at home. Uh, I, two things I see right now. One is um, I think planning cycles are compressed. I think you have to be pretty flexible because things are changing. Kind of three to four months. So it's hard to take like an annual view on the business right now or any given function. So I think you have to model for the long term, but you have to be really flexible and sort of review plans like quarterly, maybe a little more, a little less than that. Um, because like we've seen it this year. I mean, like, I mean, you know, if you were in a very COVID friendly business, Q2 was probably massive. If you were in a COVID not friendly business, Q2 was a nightmare. Q3 on a really COVID friendly business is probably declining a little bit, but Q3 on another, do you know what I mean? Like it's just your normal planning cycles are kind of thrown out. So I think being flexible there is, um, is really helpful. And then I think, um, I mean, I couldn't agree more on frontline managers. And um, I also think that like, you have to start looking at pretty like regularly, like looking at your managers and saying like, is this the person I would hire now for this job? Um, 
you know, now it's five people instead of two people or 10 people instead of five people or whatever it is. And, you know, it's remote instead of in person. And I was holding on to that, but now it looks like it's going to be remote for at least another eight, nine, 10 months. Um, so I think like constantly rewriting those job descriptions, even your own, um, is really helpful and just kind of start saying like, you know, like I think there's, um, you know, there's just the stage appropriateness of resources, especially at the manager level, where like you do no one uh, a service by trying to put someone in a position where they're set up to fail, especially in a management position, because then the people under them are also set up to fail and people's relationship with their business, with the company and opinion of the company is really just an opinion of their frontline manager typically. Um, so I think like that's not a conversation people like to talk about but I do think like it's a time where you have to start thinking planning and sort of shorter feedback loops and start thinking, looking at your teams and saying is, or is this the right person right now? You know, could have been the right person six months ago, but right now and start having those conversations. Um, it's tough, but I think it's necessary. Awesome. Yeah. The tough love conversations go a long way, especially now when the playbook is kind of thrown out the window. Well, listen, guys, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's always fun. I thought this was going to be a little bit more of like Rams butting heads, but it was actually surprisingly civilized. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, that probably speaks to the relationship a little bit. But um, but yeah, I wanted to say thanks again um, and uh, and best of luck as we kind of turn the corner in the last quarter of the year. Today's episode is brought to you by Oracle NetSuite. One of the most time-consuming and stressful activities at my last startup was pulling the monthly reports we needed to to prepare for our board meeting. You see, we were using a combination of homegrown solutions, spreadsheets, and QuickBooks and made the mistake of allowing our technology and tech stack to slow us down. Don't make the same mistake we did. Upgrade today with Oracle NetSuite. The beauty of Oracle NetSuite is that it gives you the visibility and control you need over your financials, HR, inventory, sales, and much more. Everything you need all in one place instantly. Join over 21,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let their team at NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com slash scale. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash scale.